a woman who is saying, you're full of shit, she can't say that out loud. Or they used to stone women for doing that. I got the back of my dad's bill. Hello, people of the interwebs. I'm Tash Doherty, and welcome to the Practical Guide to Pussyhood, the show about birth control, periods, and liberating yourself from the patriarchy. We are right in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic here in New York. And luckily, I'm outside today and I'm recording this from my backyard in Brooklyn. Wherever you are, I hope that you're healthy, your family is healthy, and that you can find some way to safely go outside and get some fresh air for a little bit. There are a lot of things that we can't do right now in quarantine, but one of the things that we can do, which is really important, is to talk to our family members and learn a bit more about them and who they are. So today I'm going to share with you a conversation that I had with my grandmother, Patricia, but I and her other grandchildren call her Noni. Noni is now in her early 80s, and here she's going to speak about her life growing up in the Seventh-day Adventist religion, which is really fascinating. The Adventists are a Protestant branch of Christianity, and Noni describes the experience of growing up with all the rules of the organized religion, the limited role of women, as well as the underlying and often blatant racism, sexism, and homophobia. She has seen dramatic changes in the role of women in her life, and she also herself has done a lot of questioning. And I got very curious in this interview, and I asked her a lot of questions about her sex life, her love life, and how she left the religion, and now how she became a liberal. What I admire most about my grandmother is that she's very independent. She is especially an independent thinker. And a lot of people get more conservative as they get older, but Noni has gone totally the other way. She loves Noam Chomsky, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and AOC. So I hope that you find her perspectives as interesting and entertaining as I did. Okay, so do you want to start by saying, hi, I'm Patricia, I'm however old you are, and where you're from? Hmm, okay. Well, I'm Patricia, and I'm 81 years old, and I'm from the West Coast. Take your pick. I've lived in a lot of places. Where would you say you actually grew up? Mm, probably Washington State. Uh, coast, coastal Washington State. Walla Walla or? No, Walla, no. Walla Walla is in the eastern part, uh, between Portland and Seattle. So you grew up in an Adventist family? Seventh-day Adventist family. Mm-hmm. Were you religious as a child? I tried to be. <laughs> it, it didn't stick, but I. Yeah, it's really interesting. There are things that were disapproved of that I'm really grateful, like I don't smoke. I've never smoked. Another thing was was uh, no dancing, which I've always regretted because I've always wanted to dance but never learned how. So it, it were, there were good and bad aspects to it. I think actually, now that I look at it, the thing that was the most difficult was the fact that all decisions were pretty much made for you. You could only decide were you going to go along with it or were you going to rebel. There were, didn't seem to be any other options for a lot of stuff. No, no premarital sex, certainly. So that was decided by the religion or was it by people within the religion that you knew? No, it was by the religion. I mean, you just didn't do it. 
So with Daddy the Decider, Daddy's, what do you what do you mean by that? His word is is the last word. The next one would be God, okay, or maybe the preacher comes in there somewhere. But that was just that was accepted. That was that's the way it was. And a woman who is saying you're full of shit, she can't say that out loud or. They used to stone women for doing that. I got the back of my dad's belt for doing it, essentially. I never came out and told him he was full of shit. But, you know, I'd look at the culture around me. And like I said, these were nice people, caring, loving, blah, blah. But there were these huge gaps of, of uh, racism, of misogyny, of anything that's different. And of course, this is true in any culture. I mean, you, you get that. But if you're, I don't want to say a little further evolved, but I really think that's what it is, that you're recognizing that, okay, this was fine and maybe it worked several generations ago, but not now, not anymore. It's not working. And it obviously didn't really work really well for them, for women earlier on, because they were just second class. And there's still a bit of a hangover. Again, I didn't see this, but it was sort of there that women and kids are the belongings of the man. He, he's, he owns them. And of course, money, well, that held on until I couldn't even get a credit card when I married your, your grandfather in my name. I had to get it in his name. I mean, so, you know, that's pretty stupid. Anyway. When Noni talks about Mimi here, she's talking about her mother. Mimi was afraid to step out of... She tried. I always felt like I was living sort of vicariously for her because she would really like to have done some of these things. Her mother was the same way. She would have liked to have done a few of these things, but it just, you didn't do it. Mm -hmm. In your experience, what were those things that you did that Mimi couldn't do? Traveled a lot. I had my first drink when I was 21 years old, and she, I said, I really like champagne. I thought I taught you better than that. <laughs> you know, I mean... There were occasions, and, and I, I'm thinking now, I'm wondering how much of it was said and I just didn't pick it up. I didn't, or how much was said that I picked up that nobody else did because it was so so lame, really. You know, any, any group that was different than us, why are they different? One chromosome, for God's sake. Or because their forebears happened to live in South Africa and needed the protection from the sun. And, and all of this stuff was available information. Even when I was a kid, you know, you, you could get a lot of that, enough scientific information to, to begin to question things. But there was always the, if you question it, then our whole structure might be wrong. <laughs> That, that help. What are we? What are we gonna do? Yeah, you know? exactly. You can't help but brush up against these patriarchal ideals. You know, asking your dad for things, not being able to get a credit card. Why is it that way? Mm. There's not really any particular reason. It's it's a long history and it's evolved because way back when men were the stronger, simply physically mm -hmm. were stronger, and anything else was considered chattel or belongings. Stuff that now you go, huh? Yeah. But not that many generations ago, 
one, if you had an illegitimate child and you had no control over your body to say no to this guy who essentially owns you, either he's your husband or he's your employer or whatever, you have no way to say no to him. But you get pregnant, you're out on your ass Mm. or you get stoned or whatever, depending on which culture you're in. So women did not have the kind of power that your generation has Mm. by any stretch of the imagination. And even when I was growing up, a woman who, young woman who got pregnant, it was like, oh, hush, hush, hush. That was always there. And if she got pregnant, it was obviously her fault because the male was the stronger of the two. And so, of course, it was her fault. You know, if men got pregnant, the whole thing would be different. (laughs) Young people growing up now, particularly women, guys haven't caught on to some of this yet, but particularly women are going, this is a load of garbage that you guys have handed to us and we're not taking it any longer, you know? Yeah. And they don't realize what has come before and how long it's taken to a great extent for women to be able to say, stand up and say, fuck you, get off my back. That's why I really admire Elizabeth Warren. She is standing up to, of course, she has to be smarter than any of the rest of them, brighter than anybody else, and do it 10 times better than anybody else before anybody will listen. And I think the same was true with with Hillary. She was the smartest one on the block, but that wasn't as important as having fun. So it's an interesting time to look at how this is evolving. And it does make me feel bad that, that younger women don't recognize what it was like even 30 or 40 years ago. There have been so many massive changes in attitude. And in Alabama, it hasn't changed as fast. It's, you know, they're still fighting the Civil War. So, uh, (laughs) you know, which is the load of, it's ridiculous. And I think the parallel thing with that is that most mothers, if they're paying any attention at all, are spending their time arbitrating between kids, making it work. Men don't have to do that. Men just say, well, this is what I want, bang, do it, shut up, and and do it. So they don't learn the subtlety of interpersonal relationships and how you can change the relationship by changing your own attitude and softening it or whatever. Or they change one diaper and then everyone's like, wow, you're a god. Uh, Whoopie ding-dongs. You know, (laughs) if you got up every night in the middle of the night and changed it and fed the kid, then I'd believe it. But that isn't happening. Hmm. So, um, but... Well, a lot of women have said, you know, you have to do it twice, like for a black. You have to do it twice as good as the white male and twice as fast, and you have to be twice as smart to come up to where he is. Come on. (laughs) That's that's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's one bloody chromosome. So what other rules did they have that you couldn't, couldn't do? Well, you couldn't do anything that was really fun from sundown Friday night till sundown Saturday night. And uh, restrictions on what you read and very few movies, certainly not in a theater, rented a home movie and it was not censored, but it was certainly a uplifting movie. That was fine. 
Can you give an example of a movie that they thought was like okay that you could watch? Oh, anything with Lassie in it, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> what kind of sheltered? Uh, Wait, like were you sheltered? Oh yeah, very sheltered. Mm-hmm. To me, the thing that I didn't even know about at all was the gay lesbian group. I didn't even realize that there was such a thing until I was like 12 or 14 years old. It was completely not not even mentioned. And, and that so, was having an uncle who was gay. You know, I always thought that the family disapproved of him because he was highly creative. Turned out it wasn't. It was because he was gay. I didn't know that. Did they preach, you know, like loving everyone and being kind to people? And oh, then yeah. who did they exclude? Well, the guys in college, there were, there were a group of Middle Eastern, Armenian, Egyptian, whatnot. They were called camel drivers. And if you went out with one of them, none of the white boys would uh, take you out. Hmm. Certainly blacks, because a cousin of my mother's married two in succession black men. And that was always spoken of in hushed terms. There was definite phobias there. We're back to the we're the chosen people crap. And everybody else is suspect. Would they go to hell or would they just... Oh, no, there wasn't. Hell wasn't, didn't happen. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's a Catholic thing, not a, an Adventist thing. But it was, uh, you know, you'll never get to heaven. What was the role of women at this stage in your childhood? Interesting. It was not necessarily keep them in the kitchen and pregnant by any means, because a lot of the women I knew worked. My mom worked practical time, I remember. And, and I don't ever remember any kind of disparaging remarks about women's place and that kind of thing. I remember hearing it about blacks and, and other groups, but I don't ever remember hearing it about women. Now, maybe it was there and I didn't pick it up. I don't know. Mm. So when you say your mother worked, like what kind of work did she do? She ran the doctor's office. She was the office manager. Do you think it's because they couldn't afford to have women not working? Well, I, that's why my, um, why my mom went to work, was because we needed the money. Uh, you know, my dad was a carpenter, and during the war he couldn't get any materials to build anything. Even after that, he, he had a good job, and I think she liked to work. I do remember her coming home and lying down, putting her feet up and being exhausted, which meant that at age 12, I think it was, I ended up running the house and doing the cooking and everything, which I hated then, but it's fine. (laughs) For example, if she'd gotten her period at work, did she have painkillers? Like, what would she have done? Do you know she never discussed it? I have absolutely no idea. Because I keep thinking, like, genetically, I don't know, maybe it's from your side of the family, I don't know who it's from, but, like, I always had super painful periods. So was not functioning for, like, a couple of days out of the mm-hmm. month, ever. I don't know. With me, I, it's been, oh, gee, is it happening already? I didn't know that. And then I'd be bitchy. I think I was sort of bitchy just in general, so it was a little hard to tell. The only time I really had cramps was when... For whatever reason, the altitude had changed. That, I remember noticing, oh, 
oh, okay, it'll go away pretty soon. But I never had, I was never wiped out. Yeah. And uh, and I don't remember Mimi ever saying anything about it. So maybe that side of the women in the family didn't get painful could periods. Could be, could yeah. be. I have no idea. Because nobody talked about it. Nobody talked about it. So when you got your period, how old were you? I must have been about 12 or 13. And she didn't, Mimi didn't say much of anything about it. She gave me a book that somebody, a little pamphlet that somebody had written that explained the whole thing. And okay, fine, that's it. Do you remember who wrote it? No. No. No, no. But it had about six pages of colored illustrations and stuff like that. So it, it must have been pretty thorough because I, you know, figured out what was going on. Yeah. Did you ever talk about it with your friends at school? Never. We never discussed this kind of thing. Did you ever have, like, any period stains or you never saw anyone or did anything that gave any indication to the world that you might be having no. a period? No. The only time I remember, and this was when I was 30-some-odd, and I had on a pair of white pants, and this woman looked at me. She said, oh, you better go into the loo. Oh, okay. The one other time that was really inconvenient that it happened was we were at the ball for Johnson's inauguration, and my period started which was a real drag because I didn't have anything with me. I ended up in the, going to the bathroom and using uh, toilet paper or something. But I had on this white long gown with gold and silver flowers all over it and vines. Gorgeous. Very 50s, scoop neck, straight thing. And it worried the whole time that I was going to mess up the back of the gown or something. That is definitely very stressful. Um, <laughs> I'm sure it was a fun event. And then the whole time, you were just my period. Yeah. Like leaking yeah, out the back the whole, of my pants. I've been looking back. Just glancing, just glancing yeah. behind you the whole night. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have boyfriends in high school? Or did you keep all of that stuff very private? Sort of. But one, I was taller than most of them, which sort of slowed things down. <laughs> One guy that I dated only once was very cool, but he happened to be Egyptian. And he was so concerned about anything that, you know, I didn't have a lot of boyfriends in school. I had a lot of friends, but not specifically. I didn't glom onto anybody. And Were other people, like, dating around a bit? Some were, some, some weren't. There were a couple of guys that I liked, but nothing ever came of it. So you just went on one date with this Egyptian guy? Just one with him, and I went on other dates with several other guys. But, mm-hmm. but I, I had a lot of guy friends, and, you know, one of them is still a friend. I've what, I've known him, what, 75 years? <laughs> We've been friends. So what did you do on this date with this Egyptian guy? Oh, we went to a play. And where were you at this point? I was in college. High school was a very small, private high school, and there wasn't a whole lot to choose from, actually. (laughs) But I remember being appalled when one of my friends was very much in love with a guy that lived in the village. I I knew she was sleeping with him, but she also informed me that she didn't know what to do with her panties that had blood stains on them. 
they all she stuff him in the closet. So did you just know that she was having sex with him? I think she mentioned sort of in a roundabout way. I figured it out. In high school? In high school. Do you know what happened to her? Like, did she get pregnant and... No, she no. didn't get pregnant. I don't think she married him. She married somebody else. But I don't, I don't, I have no idea now what happened to her. You learned how to lie a lot is what it boils down to. <laughs> and we knew that stuff was going on, not just with her. Like one night, my roommate and I had been down in the main living room at the dorm, and we came back up after lights were out, so there were no lights in the hallway. And we knew we had a room on one side in the very far end of the, the hall. And so I got my hand on her shoulder, and she's running her hand along the wall, counting the doors. So we'd know when we got to our room, and she goes by, and there's suddenly this body standing up against the wall. <laughs> and we go on. And we, we realized it was some guy. Somebody put something in the door so he could get in, in the, in the side door. Not the front door, but the, there was a side fire escape door. And he was just either coming or going, I don't know which. Must have scared the bejesus out of him. <laughs> but absolutely, I remember my roommate just stopping, like, ah. And then we went on. But, you know, so you kind of knew, okay, why he was there and what, he, what they were doing. And we didn't know who it was. Hmm. Was it expected that you would go to, like, a university or a college? Where I grew up, a lot of the kids were from the farm, went in to become farmers or something. Although one of the boys who was a farmer's son ended up, working in nuclear physics and so you know I mean he wasn't stupid probably about half of them went on to college did the women get the same degree as the men or were you in like a women's college within the no, university it was, it was co-ed totally mm -hmm. what were they doing in terms of their relationships <laughs> what I remember is sitting around on the bed with a bunch of girls and I'm going to get married she was dating somebody and I think she ultimately married him I'm going to get married, and then we're going to go to, to Europe, travel, or, or I'm going to get married, and then I'm going to. And they all had this, what they were going to do, but they were going to get married first. And I remember thinking then, yeah, right, uh-huh, <laughs> that's not going to happen. That was the, the point to a great extent. I had one friend, she went into engineering, the only woman in engineering, ended up working for NASA. She did pretty well, but most of the women were taking nursing or secretarial or dietitian or, you Teaching know. or something. Yeah. 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 Most of the guys were taking, I don't think there were any women taking religion wanted to become a preacher, it wasn't going to happen. Music, that was probably pretty co-ed. So how did you choose what to study? Well, it was kind of like, okay, here's your options. <laughs> uh, I really wanted to be a torch singer in a nightclub is what I really wanted to do. <laughs> you wanted to just sing in a nightclub? Yeah, and I wanted to sing. But I didn't want to sing religious songs. And that was the only option at that, I thought, at that point. Because this is the funny part of, of being brought up like that, is that your options are very boxed in and very limited. 
it isn't you've got this whole field to look at like you do now. Wasn't true then at all. I remember thinking that I might, because I had talked to the physical therapist at office where Mimi worked, and I said to the doctor, gee, I think I'd like to be a physical therapist. No, you don't want to do that. I don't. No, you want to be a nurse. So I ended up being a nurse. And I, in a way, I'm not sorry because it's been a, it was a good education. I learned a lot, but it was not what I wanted to do. Would you have been a physical therapist, do you think? You know, I thought about it, but I decided, and I don't know whether I decided this then or realized that this was what was stopping me from taking medicine, because women were beginning to go into medicine then. I did not want the responsibility of doing something to somebody and they die. I, I do not want that kind of responsibility. And so forget it. It's most of the doctor's jobs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's trying to stop people from dying, and then sometimes they do, so... Some, well, they all do, ultimately, but, yeah. but just the, gee, am I doing the right thing, da 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 I didn't want to go there. So when did the birth control pill come out? It was around, certainly when I got married, which would have been 61. Mm. After college, you went to work as a nurse? couple of years and then got married. And did you have any other boyfriends? Uh, <laughs> I mean, prior to your grandfather, I was involved, although sex was not part of the program, with one of the doctors that my mom worked for. He was about 20 years older than I, a lovely man. Of course, he was married and had kids. I remember him writing to me once and telling me that when, I, when he heard that I was marrying your grandfather, that I should marry a younger man, because he apparently knew how old your grandfather was. And he was very concerned about me not doing something stupid. That lasted in over most of college and nursing. Hmm. We've cared very much for each other. Did his wife ever find out? I think she did, because one year she sent me the weirdest Christmas present, penguin thing full of shampoo or something. It was really stupid. And, and they, <laughs> they divorced, like, I can't figure out the time frame because I don't have all the dates, but it, I, I remember he was drafted, so this would have been Korea, and I was in college. And then I went into nursing... And after that, at some point, he and his wife divorced, and she was a good friend of my mom's, and so he f knew where I was all the time. And I think he realized that, you know, because by then I was with your grandfather, he married a year or two later after that. So that was one of the things that I, I wasn't interested in all these young guys, really. I mean, I, you know, was friends with them and dated them occasionally, but it, there was never any kind of major relationship mm. at all. But you liked older guys then? I liked him. Mm. <laughs> I don't know whether it meant older guys or not. Mm. Yeah, he, yeah, your granddad was 13 years older than I am, so I mm. guess so. Mm. Never thought of that. Interesting. And um, what do you think your mom would have said if she found out that you were, like, fooling around with the doctor? She may have guessed and didn't say anything. I don't know. My dad would have had a fit. Yeah. You were just kind of following the rules with 
going to the gym. Like, you weren't planning to have sex before you got married, ever. Hmm. Wasn't. But you didn't have sex until you were married. Oh, yeah. That was the thing. <laughs> he, he, he did it. <laughs> what, before you got married? Yeah. Really? Yeah. It was just kind of, that's the way things are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then you were planning to get married, or you weren't? I don't remember. I, I think I was more enthralled with, with the idea of the freedom. And <laughs> I kind of lived with him for a year before we got married. I had my own apartment, but I was never there. And uh, I think they knew, but mm-hmm. they didn't want to go there. So did they care that he was Jewish? That was a problem, but but it was closer than had he been Muslim or Catholic or something. Close enough. I didn't bother to tell him that he was not a practicing particularly Jew at all. I think he had been to Temple once and all the time I knew him. <laughs> so, But by then I sort of wasn't going to church much anymore anyway, so it was all irrelevant. How long did you date for before you got married? Well, I wanted to finish training, and we started dating, uh, I think, during my last year. I worked for about a year and a half, and then we got married. So two and a half years after you graduated from college, you were married? Uh-huh. Do you wish you'd had more time to just do other stuff, or not so much? I think, I don't want to say enthralled, because that's the wrong word, but very captivated by your grandfather. Had this sexy car, and, you know, all this stuff. And... He was close enough to my family that that was not a problem. And we had fun together. It was back to the sort of, you get married. Mm -hmm. Not getting married was not an option. Really? Yeah. Not in my head. So in your head, you just thought you were always going to get married and have children? I guess. Yeah. I guess. So you never used birth control? Well, before... I think we, he did use condoms beforehand, mm-hmm. before we got married. But at this point, you could buy a house and live. Yeah. That's crazy that you could just afford to buy a house. Well, but, but he, he was well-established in what he was doing at mm-hmm. that point and making really good money. And so, yeah, we could buy a house. And then did you go on birth control at all between... I think I must have... And at that point, I decided I don't want to have any more kids. Three is enough. Your your grandfather decided three was enough. So I went back in and had my tubes tied. Really? Yeah. But it's much easier for the guy to get a vasectomy than it is for you to get a hysterectomy, right? Well, you don't, but it isn't a hysterectomy. It's, they just tie your tubes off. Oh. Did it work? Yeah. I didn't have any more kids. Yeah. And not that I didn't love the kids I had. It was just that uh, that that was that was enough. I remember that one of the reasons I went on the off the pill and had a tubal ligation was because my blood pressure was not stable, and there was a hypertension in the family. So it was kind of stupid to go on something that was very possibly going to be a problem. And so my only options i don't remember anybody ever saying anything about a, a coil or anything else it was you know a tubal ligation or celibacy or the pill and i wasn't up for celibacy at that point <laughs> particularly so it was a tubal ligation and and i have not been sorry it was like no big deal 
because it was one of the first microsurgeries that I remember hearing about. I don't even have any scars. They were so small. The most uncomfortable part of it was the gas that they inserted into my abdomen to raise the the muscle level so that they could get in and, and put a, a plastic, I don't know what it was, something plastic around the my tubes, and, and that was the end of that. And I don't even remember being in the hospital overnight. I may have been, but I, I don't remember. It's like 50, 50 how many years ago. But I wonder if they even do the gas in the procedures anymore. I mean, they, they probably, probably don't. They don't need to because they weren't able to see it really. You know, now they've got a screen there and the doctor's sitting across the room managing these little things looking at the screen. Well, that was not available 50 years ago. And so they had to have, I, I know there was a light on there and I think there was probably a small uh, camera or some, some something, thing, yeah, so that he could see into the, ca the abdominal cavity. So what was like pregnancy like for you? With John, it was fine. I mean, I rarely, you know, a little watermelon bump and, and, you know, soda crackers and club soda for a while. And with your mom, I gained a lot of weight. I craved sauerkraut and hot dogs. God knows why, but that I would eat them every night. And she was born in September and it was hotter than hell. That was not a pleasant pregnancy. Did you have morning sickness or? I had morning sickness, but it, never, it was not debilitating. It was just a pain in the neck. With Laura, I, we went into the hospital like three or four times because I thought I was gonna deliver. I went in New Year's Eve, thought I was gonna deliver and she was born in February, so. Were you concerned about your weight after getting pregnant? Well, I could never lose a lot of the weight, but that there were extenuating circumstances there too. Of a lot of stressful moments that I ate my way out of. <laughs> so it was not because of, of the pregnancies or anything. When the pregnancy was over, I did not lose the weight. Mm -hmm. It was there for another reason. And then so, what was giving birth like? I don't remember a lot of it. I knew that I had... Contractions. Contractions, thank you. But with all three of them, I had a, a little spinal. It was no big deal. How long did labor last for? Again, I don't remember, but not huge amounts of time. My water broke and it's like, okay, let's get to the hospital. That's it? <laughs> yeah. Makes it seem like so much. Well, but you don't remember that. Yeah. You really do not. I mean, it's gone. Mm. And uh, I remember seeing the newborn, they put them on your tummy because that helps contract the uterus. And uh, this gummy little <laughs> blue, blue purpley screaming creature there that's just like oh my god <laughs> and then then the nurse takes them and wraps them up and puts them back on your tummy and, and there you go what about like the placenta did you have to do that afterwards as well theoretically that comes out as the final part of the birth process 
what was it like sex and marriage was it like as things were going bad you just didn't you can't have one without the other is yeah. what it happens there was no need to touch this person to be intimate with this person it just and that had to do with all of the psychological and the bad words and all of that all of that stuff yeah took away the physical need mm-hmm. and then you had other partners after that uh-huh, yeah. Because it was like, okay, my tubes are tied. Mm. This was before AIDS became a big thing. And so why not? So you didn't use condoms with these people because you didn't think about sexually transmitted diseases. I didn't diseases. Need to. Mm. You know, as I say, AIDS was not an issue, so you didn't have to worry about getting a some sort of horrible disease. What's stopping me? Nothing. Mm. Did you continue having different partners until what age? Well, I've stayed with one man for, what, a couple, three years, four years. And that was sort of the end of it. By then I was, what, 55, 60. We moved to Sedona. It was interesting. I was running the the store in Sedona, and all these guys would come in, and I'd look at them and think, I wouldn't want to wake up with this person. Picky, 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 picky. I can only think of three or four guys that I have met, nothing ever happened, that I would even consider taking home. Really? Yeah. In your in your whole 50s, 60s, 70s? No, if from the time I hit 50 plus that, that until now. They were either dog whistling their wife, which was not going to happen with me, or they were... Eh, I'm not interested in that. Yeah. I don't want to I don't want to wake up with that. I don't know. I feel like your preferences change as you get older. So I feel like there would have been a couple more people maybe that you would have been interested in seeing. One would think maybe I was too picky. A couple of guys have asked me out, but I decided not to. I mm. just I didn't want to deal with it. So you were fine just with the idea of being alone after I'm fine. Yeah. I'm perfectly happy. And I have good men friends, like the two therapists that I have, one of them is married. The other one has a live-in, I think, girlfriend. I don't know. We can sit and talk for hours. Now, maybe if I met somebody that at a particular level, whatever, I would change and it would be nice. But it's not like I got to... Bend over backwards. Yeah. I really, I enjoy my own company. I get a little bored once in a while, but I can usually then call somebody or work on something or do something mm. or whatever. Yeah, I think the thing I miss most is hugging, mm. getting hugged. Like platonic, just good hugging. Yeah. Uh, but I just don't have a huge need for a man in my life. Yeah. I like them. mm enjoy them they're fun to talk to and and you get a perspective that you don't get from a woman and i'm glad i have some good male friends but do i need to have somebody with it'd be nice to have somebody to help me decide what kind of cheese we should get for dinner you know (laughs) just the mundane day-to-day stuff yeah Yeah. really Mm. I think that's the kind of thing I miss more than the sex and the all of 
that whole the lusting and whatever and yeah, that yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, stuff. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. It's just like the day to day sharing of those and and it would you know, I think it would be nice to have somebody who's I'm their major concern, but that has never happened to me anyway with so I wouldn't know how to deal with it. <laughs> you know. Mm. Uh the reality is that, that most people, their major concern is themselves, as it should be. And so why should I muck that up? You know? Yeah. So when did your attitudes towards, like, I don't know, gay people, for example, change? I actually often tell people about this because a lot of grandparents get more conservative as they get older. And mm-hmm. I feel like you've gone the other way. I have. And so you're more, like, liberal than most as you've gotten older, would you say? I think what what has changed is that I realized that every person I saw, everyone I met, I'm only seeing a very small slice of them. If I knew everything about them, I could then make a different a, a, a different kind of decision or whatever. I don't. I will never know everything. I can't. And that, therefore, any judgment I make about anyone, no matter whether it's their sexual orientation or the color of their hair or anything else, is based on stuff that I have no knowledge of. So how can I judge it? I can't. That realization has come through a lot of reading, a lot of paying attention to what I'm doing, a lot of listening to my everything I need to know I learned from my kids and my grandkids. It either can scare the hell out of you when you realize you don't have the control and you can't do anything about it. You could only change yourself. Or it can give you a sense of security about, I can't do anything about that. I can only change how I feel about it. And it's up to me how I decide to feel about it. And I prefer to feel open about it as opposed to closed. And I think that the fear factor is huge there. And because as people get older, they can become more fearful. I mean, me, I was never afraid to do anything physical. I wouldn't do some things, like bungee jumping is not something I would try to do, forget it. But when, after I fell, even getting up and walking from one place to another was fearful. And I'm thinking, wow, if I didn't get myself out of this, I could be in a wheelchair the rest of my life because I'm too afraid to get out of it. Right. And I made the decision then, I didn't even want to meet all these people who were sitting around in wheelchairs. Mm, in the hospital, because it was just, yeah. yeah well, the, the place where I was, half of the people there were transient like I am, mm-hmm. getting therapy and getting going home. The other half were there, would be carried out of the bag. Yeah. Mm. And it was like, that's not an option for me. And the guys kept telling me, I'd say, you know, thank you so much for what we didn't do it. We ju- you're the one that did the work. And I'd say, but what about all these people? They don't want to work. Mm. They, they don't want to do what they have to do yeah. to get out of it. Mm-hmm. And so they were ending up sitting in a wheelchair the rest of their lives. Yeah. And that scared the hell out of me. I mean, talk about fear. Run the other way. Yeah, yeah. 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 But I do remember 
the fear of getting myself into the bathroom or just even getting up off the bed. It was scary because things had changed so much that I didn't have balance and mm-hmm. and it was painful and all that stuff. It really comes down to are you fearful or are you not fearful? Yeah. And I think basically I'm not fearful. Or you're not fearful of other people. Exactly. It's just choosing whether or not to be afraid yeah, of stuff. It's it's really a choice whether yeah. you're gonna whether you're and I'm I'm almost convinced that that's has to do with brain wiring. Now, granted, it's probably reinforced by yeah. every decision you make. But I think going in, people are either more fearful or less fearful. And so if you keep reinforcing the more fearful, you're going to be in a wheelchair the rest of your life. If you keep reinforcing the less fi- less fearful, you're going to get up and move your ass and do what has to be done. Totally. It's like in London, we would just go around the city because you're out, you're open, you're in the open, you're seeing people. Mm -hmm. But if you grew up in like a very isolated place with like not many people or like not many different points of view, you can become afraid of people who aren't like you. Who looks different or acts different or whatever. Even though there are places in the city you will not go. Yeah. Because you're not stupid. Mm -hmm. But in a small town where everybody's the same color... Goes to the same, not goes to the same church, but nevertheless, it was homogenous. Because I remember being a kid, and you always, we had to go to prayer meeting on Wednesday night every week. <laughs> and these people would get up and testify about, oh, we're going to have a time of trouble and we're going to be eating ants and all of this stuff they're mm. afraid of. And I remember thinking, this is so stupid. What's going on? I couldn't get into the fear aspect of a fundamentalist religion. Mm. I, it just didn't compute with me at all. And I'm wondering if that isn't brain wiring too. You stayed friends with Granada Jim. Did you have to forgive Granada Jim, or how did you like get over well, that? that? Was part of of all of this that I was talking about. That okay, I could be mad at him, or I've got three kids in common and four grandchildren, six grandchildren. What's the point? There isn't a point. It's stupid. We had kind of made that decision when we divorced that we weren't going to fight over the kids. Mm. I was gone for a while in Arizona, although. I always had them over for holidays and birthdays and all of that. It was like he was still part of the family. Mm, it makes sense. It, yeah, it, it made no sense to me fighting over it. Yeah. Uh, why? And it's because I don't know all of the circumstances around Jim mm. that caused him to react the way he did. Probably, he, and he doesn't know all of it around me. And the problem with us was that we were neither of us able or interested in finding out. You didn't want to resolve whatever uh-uh. it was. Well, I think, I think what it is, is if you really want to be in a long-term relationship with somebody, and it needn't be sex, it can be any kind of a relationship, you start paying attention to who they are as a person. And you may miss it half the time, but you know them at several different levels. And the more levels you go, the deeper the relationship. And if you're still on the surface, it ain't going to happen. And this was a problem with Granddaddy Jim. Mm -hmm. He was more comfortable on the surface, and I wasn't. And I knew I wanted something deeper than that. Now, I didn't find it, but that's a different issue. Point mm-hmm. being that I 
I guess I would rather be alone mm. than settle for superficial. Service, yeah, service level. Yeah. Do you have any more questions or things that you wanted to add? <laughs> you've, you've gotten the whole story of my life. Yeah, here. we've got everything in there. <laughs> a few things that I've never told anybody, as a matter of fact. <laughs> there you go. Okay. This is it. The first time you have sex, you're going to remember it your whole life. So you want to make damn sure it's not in the back seat of a car with some pimply-faced kid. You want to make sure it's something you want to remember. Thank you so much for tuning into The Practical Guide to Pussyhood. I really hope you enjoyed the show, and if you haven't had time to review us yet, we would be really grateful if you could give us five stars. We only have seven reviews so far, and would absolutely love your help getting our numbers up. As always, you can reach me on Instagram. My handle is Tash R. Doherty, and I would absolutely love to hear from you. I'm wishing you a great rest of your quarantine, and I want to thank all the medical workers and essential workers out there. We cannot thank you enough for all your hard work. So tune in again soon. Lots of love. Bye.